Hello and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast. Today is January the 3rd and we are reading Genesis 3, Ezra 3, Matthew 3, and Acts chapter 3. And our big question of the day is what is the Proto-Evangelium? So let's start out with our focus passage. Genesis chapter 3, it's all about the fall in the Garden of Eden. Now this is really and truly one of the most significant passages in the entire Bible. Nothing makes sense, including the coming of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, and until we understand what happened in Genesis chapter 3. So let's start off with verse 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her. And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man replied, the, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit, and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, the, the serpent deceived me, and I hate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. And he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. The man named 
his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. And the Lord God said, Since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. So that is Genesis chapter 3, and it's bad news. Everything bad in the world, everything heartrending, everything painful is rooted in Genesis chapter 3. It's there because... We sinned in the garden. Yes, it was Adam and Eve, but the fact of the matter is you would have done it, I would have done it. We would have done the same thing. We've all sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, and misery, death, sickness, anxiety, depression is all here because of sin. But there is a glimmer of hope in that passage. And I want to read the encouraging quote of the day from a sermon by Pastor Tim Keller out of Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City. And this is what he says about this passage. In the beginning of history, it was a disaster. Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, Eden. What happens? Sin, serpent, you know the story. Everything is horrible. Death, destruction, evil. Everything is horrible, except there's a glimmer of hope. Do you know what it is? It's a promise. In Genesis 3.15, God says, I promise that one descendant of Eve is someday going to bruise the head of the serpent and destroy evil. I promise. Go forward to centuries later, and God begins his relationship with Abraham, and he says, I'm going to save the world through your descendants. One night, Abraham says, but how can I be sure? In Genesis 15, God shocks Abraham and anybody who understands what he's doing in Genesis 15 when he appears and passes between the pieces of a dead animal and says, I will save the world through one of your descendants, even if it means I have to die. A second promise. Then years and years later, Jesus Christ comes into the world, and he is a man of complete integrity, says Pastor Keller. He always means what he says, always says what he means, absolute integrity. At the very end, in the ultimate act of integrity, he sets his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem, and he goes to the cross. Why? He's not done anything wrong. He's fulfilling his promise. He's fulfilling the promise of God and everything is before him. Everything comes down. Everything opposes him. Hell itself comes down and he says, no, I've made a promise. And he goes to the cross and he dies for us. You have been saved by the integrity of Jesus. You've been saved by the promise keeping of Jesus Christ. That should humble us away from ever using truth against people. But on the other hand, it does convince us there is a truth. We can't be relativists at all. It destroys our fear of telling the truth. Therefore, O oh friends, look at the integrity of Jesus. Look at what he did for you on the cross, and you yourselves become people of integrity. That's a good charge, and it's good news. What Jesus did for us is good news. And that brings us to the question of the day. What is the proto-evangelion, or some people might say the proto-euangelion? 
Very strange word, but it's a Greek word, and it's not fancy. It simply means first good news or first gospel. The word gospel itself is not a religious word. It was a normal word used by normal Greek people and normal Romans back in Jesus' day. Did not have religious connotations at the time. It simply means good news. And the first good news is found in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, to be fair, is the worst news in the Bible, really. Up until the fall in the garden, things were going pretty great for humans. There was no sickness, death, depression, strife, anxiety, body image issues, or anything at all like that. Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed, which means they had a level of transparency with each other that went far beyond whether or not they wore clothing or what kind of clothing they wore. Everything changed, however, when Eve was tempted by the serpent Satan, who, by the way, was not a snake at the time. He wasn't a snake, or he did not have the form of a snake until after this. Satan was a dragon, or at least a legged serpent, when he tempted Eve. And he is a dragon also in Revelation chapter 12, And he will be a dragon in Revelation 19 and 20 when he's done away with forever. But, as I said, everything changed when Eve was tempted by that serpent, Satan, and Adam stood idly by doing absolutely nothing, like a coward. They both, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God, and sin, anxiety, fear, and worse entered the world. Prior to this, God walked in the garden face-to-face with humans. Can you imagine having a face-to-face walk with God, the Creator? But after this fall, that became rarer and rarer and rarer. There was a large gulf of separation between God and man. Bad, bad, bad news. Almost the entire chapter, except for one tiny glimmer of hope in Genesis 3.15. And that passage says this, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head. You will strike his heel. And that one little passage where God is pronouncing divine punishment on the serpent Satan, there's a promise. Somebody is coming to crush the head of the enemy. Who is the offspring of the woman Eve? Well, of course, Sunday school answer here. The passage is looking forward to the coming of Jesus, the Savior. Why did Jesus come? Well, 1 John 3 8 gives us at least part of the answer, where it says that the Son of God appeared to destroy the work of the devil. How did he accomplish that? Well, Hebrews 2 tells us, and many other places too. But Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15 says, Now, since the children, or we humans, have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in flesh and blood, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. So, the sinless Jesus, himself innocent, completely innocent, he died on the cross to pay the price of sin, He crushed the head of Satan, the devil, by his act of self-sacrifice. He utterly defeated Satan, the one holding the power of death, by his resurrection, which was a tremendous triumph. Because of Jesus' victory here, 
All who look to him in wholehearted believing faith will be saved and set free from all fear of death, because death death and Satan no longer have any hold on them. This is the Proto-Evangelion, the first good news. And my friends, the good news is this. Christ died while we were yet sinners to pay the price for our sin so that we could be reunited with God and have fellowship with him and have eternal life in his kingdom of heaven, which is only for perfect people and not a one of us is perfect. So Christ's perfect life can be credited to our account, says God, says Jesus, when we look to Jesus in faith, believing that what he did, he did for us. And that is the good news. Religion says you have to work your way up the mountain to God by doing good deeds and noble acts. But Christianity is not religion. It's good news. It's better news than religion. Christianity says Jesus came down the mountain to us. He made the way. We can't climb the holy hill to God because only perfect people can do that. Jesus came down to us and he gave us his perfection so that we can be in fellowship with the Father. That's good news. And if that's all you're going to listen to today, I do want to bid you farewell and say we'll be back tomorrow with more of Genesis chapter 4, Ezra chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, and Acts chapter 4. But if you're hanging around with us for the rest of the reading, and I invite you to do that, uh, we're going to go straight into Ezra chapter 3 right now. But I do want to remind you that show notes and Quotes and things we say in the podcast are all available on our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com. Really easy to get to, an incredibly simple website design. I've barely put any flourishes on it for now. It's mostly just words, but I do believe it will be an encouragement to you. And if you want a copy of the Bible reading plan we are going through, the Robert Murray McShane plan, you will find it on our website at BibleReadingPodcast.com. Here is Ezra chapter 3, verse 1. When the seventh month arrived and the Israelites were in their towns, the people gathered as one in Jerusalem. Jeshua, son of Jozadak, and his brothers, the priests, along with Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his brothers began to build the altar of Israel's God in order to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set up the altar on its foundation and offered burnt offerings for the morning and evening on it to the Lord, even though they feared the surrounding peoples. They celebrated the festival of shelters as prescribed and offered burnt offerings each day based on the number specified by ordinance for each festival day. After that, they offered the regular burnt offering and the offerings for the beginning of each month and for all the Lord's appointed holy occasions, as well as the free will offerings brought to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, even though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. They gave money to the stonecutters and artisans and gave food, drink, and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre, so they would bring cedar wood from Lebanon to Joppa by sea, according to the authorization given them by King Cyrus of Persia. In the second month of the second year after they arrived at God's house in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, son of Josedek, and the rest of their brothers, including the priests, the Levites, and all who had returned to Jerusalem from captivity, began to build. 
they appointed the Levites who were 20 years old or more to supervise the work on the Lord's house. Jeshua with his sons and brothers, Cadmiel with his sons, and the sons of Judah and of Henadad with their sons and brothers, the Levites, joined together to supervise those working on the house of God. When the builders had laid the foundation of the Lord's temple, Priests dressed in their robes and holding trumpets, and the Levites descended from Asaph holding cymbals, took their positions to praise the Lord, as King David of Israel had instructed. They sang with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, for he is good, his faithful love to Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites, and family heads who had seen the first temple wept loudly when they saw the foundation of this temple. But many others shouted joyfully. The people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shouting from that of the weeping because the people were shouting so loudly and the sound was heard far away. That's a pretty remarkable passage there. Ezra 3.11 has this quote, He is good. His faithful love to Israel endures forever. That word there, that Hebrew word for faithful love is the word cheseth. It's a Hebrew word. It's one of my favorite words in the entire Bible. We don't have a one word equivalent to it in our language, but I had a Hebrew professor one time who assigned me a paper And I believe it ended up being 15 pages on that one word, cheseth. And at the start, I thought this is going to be miserable trying to do 15 pages of writing typed double spaced on one word. But to this day, even though that assignment was, oh gosh, 15 years ago now, it is one of my favorite assignments I've ever had because I learned so much about the character and nature of God through that one simple word that is best translated by two of our words, loving kindness. Matthew chapter 3 from the Christian Standard Bible, verse 1. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Now John had a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the vicinity of the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore you produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't you say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children from Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I am. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn 
with fire that never goes out. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him, but John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? And Jesus answered him, Allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized, and when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked them for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We're witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see now. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just like your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who's been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, And all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. 
And that is the word of the Lord. Blessed be his name. Thank you, everybody, for listening to today's podcast. Tomorrow, we're back at it in the next four chapters of our reading plan. Once again, I invite you to check out our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com. I would beg you to leave a good review on Apple iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're listening through. It does help us reach other people. It helps us get the Word of God to other people, and I think that's a good thing. All for now. Good night. See you tomorrow.